Good morning, Solano. My name is Jim, and I'm reading the scripture to you today for the beginning of our series from 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, you can open or you can see the words behind me. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles underneath some of the chairs in front of you, and it's on page 895 there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of God spoken to us. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much, Jim. Thank you, Miguel, and everybody who's been leading this morning. Feel so full and blessed already this morning to be worshiping in different languages, to be thinking about the world and the way that we have to be praying as the, in the way that we did. So, uh, and then to just be with you all um, here this morning. We had a great time praying for this service beforehand and uh, just really anticipating what God will continue to do in us and in our hearts as we gather together and worship. A um, couple of preliminaries wanted to say, uh, just the first one is that next week is kind of a special Sunday in some ways. It's uh, October 9th, which is going to be the anniversary of New City Church, so the first anniversary of New City Church. And some of you who may be newer, uh, maybe don't re realize that this church had a huge impact in getting that church started in Oakland, and they're doing very well. And so we're, we're uh, actually uh, celebrating alongside them with uh, one year. That's pretty exciting to be a, a church for one year, yeah, in Oakland. October, in October 9th, that's next Sunday. And then also at this on October 9th, Andrew Franklin, who was a former pastor of this church, kind of got the call to ministry in this church uh, and then developed from being just an intern, I uh, shouldn't say just, but from being an intern to uh, being a pastor on staff. Uh, and then uh, the Lord moved him and his family to uh, Texas. And they're going to be actually launching a church next Sunday also in Dallas, right in kind of the, the urban center of Dallas. And so uh, I just feel a lot of joy and excitement, enthusiasm to think of these two different church plants um, that uh, we celebrate next week. In fact, we're going to take a special offering next Sunday for uh, Oak Cliff. Uh, Good Shepherd Oak Cliff is the name of the church that Andrew is, is planting. And uh, so uh, we're going to take a special offering, a love offering for them next Sunday. So just be praying about that and whether or not maybe God's calling you to, um, to contribute to this new work in a place. I know we think of Dallas that has already so many churches and we have so few. Uh, and yet this place where they are is unique and I think they're going to have a, a real unique impact there. So praise God for that. And so God, would you uh, just help us as we open up your words in scripture right now? Would you guide us and, and lead us? Would you um, 
yeah, pour out your spirit among us. Um, thank you that uh, already you've been moving in our midst. Thank you that you are a good and faithful God and that we can trust that you are moving. And uh, thank you for your words. You've given us your word, your word, Jesus, the living word, and your words in scripture. And we, we feed on the word. We need the word to survive, to, to sustain us spiritually and eternally. And so feed us today out of your word, we ask in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, we're starting a new series today in the book of 1 Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians from the Apostle Paul. And one of the things, one of the most mystical things that I do as a pastor is that process of choosing what book we're going to study next. And uh, the way it works is oftentimes I'll get some sort of prompting as I'm doing my devotions and I, I try to go through the Bible, you know, on a fairly consistent basis. So I'm getting fed just personally and there'll be something in there that maybe will just prick my attention and I'll start to talk about this, the, 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 the possibility with the staff uh, and then uh, we'll, we'll kind of tease it out a little bit and then we'll take it to the elders and we'll have a conversation about uh, maybe preaching through this particular book. Uh, and, and then we, we'll, we'll go back to the staff and study it more, and then uh, Martin will do his thing. In fact, uh, you see uh, what Martin has created here. Martin creates all of these designs for us, and uh, this is a beautiful one. And you'll see that the, 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 the title is Healthy Body, and so you see the body there. And the, the word body in 1 Corinthians is used for mo- many different things. It's used for the church, it's used for our physical bodies and the body of Christ, um, and then when we take communion, discerning the body. So um, if you look on a, like a graph, you'll see the word body, you know, it would go like this. Body, if you just look up the word body, it's used like this. And when you get to 1 Corinthians, boom, it's way up here. The word body is, is just throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. And so uh, it's used to describe these different elements. And, and Martin has captured some of that. So you have the, the body of Christ in the cruciform, but then that's also not clearly Christ because it's also so our body, and there's a movement upwards, and he's captured sort of the, the, the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines element in, you know, the, the, the rigid lines with the, with the squares, but then the warmth of grace is washed over that. Uh, and then there's a movement of the body up towards, because in chapter 15, we're going to get to, you know, the heavenly body, our heavenly bodies. And so um, that's a lot to try to, to bring into a graphic, but I think he's, um, he's done that beautifully there. Um, but this is not really the, yeah, we're, this is this, thank you, Mark. This is not really the, the mystical part. The mystical part is, is this journey that often happens where we're studying, and what, what starts off is like a vague notion that, yeah, maybe this book would be good for our church in the season that we're in right now, starts to clarify a little bit, and then inevitably as we go, on, I have these moments where it's like, wow, God, how did you know this was the exact book that we needed right now in our journey? Had that experience with the book of Zechariah over and over again. Who would have thought every time I told my pastor friends we're preaching through Zechariah, they were like, what? That's crazy. And yet there were the wonderful messages in there for us. And so I want to invite you as we start through the book of 1 Corinthians to adopt a posture of expectation. That God is going to do something. He's going to say something 
to you individually. He's going to say something to us collectively. He's going to bring about some growth in your life individually. He's going to bring about some growth in us as a collective. One of the main themes is just the, the unity of the church. We're going to talk about some of the themes today as we get into our text. But just just take that posture of expectation. I know a lot of you like to hike and you like to backpack and you know that moment when you're when you when you find a new trail maybe you've heard about it it's like this is a great place you want to go hike this and you, you, you don your gear and you set off on the trail. And sometimes it's a little bit arduous in the beginning because a lot of times when you're hiking, you know, in the Sierras at least, you, you know, the first part of it is these switchbacks and you can't, you're in trees and you can't really see much. And then you come out after you've gained some elevation and, and, and maybe you, t- you kind of round a corner, you go up a little hill and all of a sudden this vast expanse opens in front of you and it's this beautiful beautiful view lord would you give us a beautiful view of yourself as we start this journey together through the book of first corinthians would you give us a picture of who you are and who we are in light of you that's what we want. That's what we want. It's going to take us some time probably to go up that initial switch back and get to the place where we can see the view. But I trust that God is going to meet us in some special ways as we study this book. Now, let me just remind us why we do what we call expositional preaching. There is expositional preaching, which is going through a book, and then there's topical preaching where you sort of pick an idea and then you maybe look at scriptures in different parts to support what you're, what you're studying to help fill it out. We do about 70 to 80 percent what would be called expositional preaching, where we just choose a book and we just make our way through that book. And why is it that we do that? Well, the reason we do that is because we want to platform, we want to give the voice of God the highest and the freest platform to speak to us, right? Have you ever been in a conversation where somebody comes in with such a strong agenda that they don't really hear what you're saying, because they already know what they, they're thinking, right? Well, topical preaching, while we do it, and I think it's necessary, can, can have a little bit of that feel because we're bringing the agenda to God. Like, we want to talk about this, God. What do you have to say? But with expository preaching, we sort of come, I I like to think of it, as much as humanly possible, we come as a blank slate and we say, Lord, what are you saying to us? Why don't you bring up the topics that we should talk about? And we will listen. And so expository preaching, uh, not just the act of preaching, but this whole process as a church requires us um, to take a humble posture uh, and, a, and a listening posture to the Lord so that we can really receive. And what, the reason that this is so important to me is because, um, you know, I don't want to just recirculate a bunch of human ideas. I really want to hear from God. That's, that's, that's why, you know, that's what excites me. Like, Lord, show me something that I didn't know that I wouldn't have even thought of. And expository preaching puts us in a place where God gets to define the agenda and speak to us oftentimes in ways that we didn't expect. So again, that sort of encourages that, that posture of anticipation. 
uh, as we go through this book, we don't know exactly what God's going to say to us. We have some ideas and some clarifying notions. But at, at some point, we just have to kind of come home and say, Lord, you, you tell us what you want us to know. And we will absorb it and let it change us and transform us and grow us. That's why this is so important. It takes a posture of humility and submissiveness, but we get to really hear from God. So get ready, because God's going to do a work in this next season, in you and in us. And I don't say that because I'm a good preacher at all. I don't say that, you know, for any other reason, in fact, except that this is God's word. This is God's word, and he will work in us. He's going to do some great. So pray for, pray for me. I will ask for that and for the other preachers as we go through 1 Corinthians that God might give us in wisdom and insight and clarity and a, a humble posture to be able to listen submissively to the text, to come as a blank slate, to get rid of the things that maybe would, would be uh, barriers to us understanding it. So do pray for that. But most importantly, pray for this congregation in this coming season that God would do something special and wonderful as we open up this incredible book together. So let's begin. Open up your Bibles if you have them to 1 Corinthians. Uh, love you to, you know, pull out your device or open your Bible and be able to follow along um, and uh, look at the text. Uh, Jim read it for us, but just because this is the first day, I'm going to go ahead and read it again, and it's not a very long text. And then I'm going to tell you what we're going to do today, uh, and then I'm going to get on with the business because actually the main event is going to happen after the message today. This is why they got me up here early, so I need to be good and get down early. Um, but the reason is because this is our first Sunday of the month special prayer time. And we are hoping and praying that even now the Holy Spirit be moving in your life to prompt you for ways that you need prayer today. Because when the church is gathered in the name of Christ who shed his blood for us, the Holy Spirit is here in our midst. And this is an opportunity for us to be healed, to be transformed, to be prayed over. And we want to give you that opportunity today. But first, we're going to sort of prime the pump with this passage. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, he was probably the amanuensis, is called. the person. So Paul probably dictated the letter, and Sosthenes wrote it down. He was probably known to the people of Corinth, because there's no further description there. Verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified, it's a big word, sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So next week in Dallas and in Oakland and in many different places, there are others who are calling on the name of Jesus and we're together with them. Verse three, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the things we're going to learn about Corinth is a very wealthy place. And so they would be tempted to seek riches in the culture around them. And Paul, what he's going to do, he's going to remind them they're, they're rich in Christ. And they don't need to be seeking after those other kinds of riches. Verse 8, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful 
by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I wanna say three things about this passage. Jesus is sanctifying us. Jesus is sanctifying us by his grace. Jesus is sanctifying us by his grace to unify us, okay? And when I talk about unifying, it's unify us with him, right? We're called into fellowship and with each other. Jesus is sanctifying us. The word sanctify appears actually twice in, in verse two. It's, it's also at the root of the word saints. And just for clarity's sake, a saint is anyone who's come to faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We sometimes think of a saint as somebody who's done a miracle or established themselves as a miracle worker. But actually in the New Testament, anybody who's come to faith in Jesus Christ is a saint. They're in the process of being sanctified, which we're going to define in a second. I know that's a big word. We oftentimes don't talk about, well, let me just keep going here. Um, sanctification, this word, uh, and I just don't want you to run away because I know some of you hear this word and you're like, ah, you know, this is, it's complicated and it, it feels overwhelming. It's a very Christian sounding word, right? When's the last time you heard the word sanctification outside of the church? Like never, it's not one of the words in your vocabulary at work. And when we hear it, we might want to run in the opposite direction. Um, and it makes me think of, do you remember the church lady, Saturday Night Live? Um, this would be like the word that she would use, right? For those of you who do remember, those of you who don't, don't worry about it. Um, the point is still stands is that this is a big word, a heavy word, you know, a 10 ton word. And, but, but I'm putting it, I don't normally, I oftentimes will use a different word in my heading because I don't want my headings to sound too Christianese, but today I'm just landing it right in there, sanctifying us, and we're going to wrestle with it and hopefully come out with some, some different new feelings about what sanctification really is and what it means. So the definition of sanctification is to separate, consecrate, cleanse, or purify. And we often contrast it with justification. Justification refers to us because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Sanctification is the process. So, so justification is a declaration, you know, you're righteous. And sanctification is the process of us growing into that righteousness over time. And it will be completed in heaven when we, you know, our, our bodies and our thoughts and everything about us are aligned with God. So it's the, it's the process of growing into the qualities, traits, and character that mirror Jesus. Um, and to many of us, I think it, it sounds like a kind of a sterile process that's oftentimes filled with, you know, words like judgment and, and Pharisees, Pharisaism, and failure to care about people. You only care about doing the right thing, right? That's what we sometimes think of when we think of the word sanctification, but it's actually part of the process of our drawing closer to God. And, and, and that's where it starts to come alive, that sanctification is part of the process of our drawing closer to God. Sanctification unites us with God, right? As we, over a period of time, become, adopt more and more the traits that that emanate from God. Now, some of them are only for God, but some of the traits we can adopt and we become more like God and that draws us into deeper walk with God. It intensifies our relational connection to God. 
So recently I was on a Zoom call with somebody who I'd never met and we were talking for a little while and I saw in the background that he had a classical guitar. And you can identify a classical guitar by the heading of it. And now, um, I studied classical guitar in college. I have a degree in classical guitar performance. Um, don't ask me to play because I don't play anymore. But, um, but I saw that guitar and I said, hey, you play classical guitar. And that started a conversation between us that resulted in us moving quickly to deeper relationship because we had a shared common interest. And so I, just, I felt at the very end of that conversation, oh, wow, that was neat how that just brought us together. Well, now, now transpose that into your relationship with God, right? As you become more familiar with the traits and the qualities of God, as they become more part of who you are, as you adopt them into your very being, it draws you into, it intensifies your relational connection to Jesus. So as you learn humility and love, Lord, teach us to love, and faith and purity and suffering, as you learn all those things in the process of sanctification and many, many other things, you become closer in relationship to Jesus. Because now you and Jesus play the guitar together. You, you're, you're doing the same things. You're learning the same things, right? So sanctification is, is not this sterile thing that happens outside of relationship. It's part of us coming into a deeper knowledge of God and a, a walk with God that is more rich and more full. Through sanctification, we begin to share more and more attributes with Jesus. And this draws us nearer to Jesus. So sanctification is a good thing. And it turns out sanctification is one of the most important lessons of the entire book of 1 Corinthians. We can talk about it in different ways. We talk about purity like in a holistic sense. Um, but sanctification is at the core. See, Corinth was a wealthy place, this city, and a powerful city, and it had a very strong culture. Okay, does that sound familiar to you? A wealthy, powerful city with a very strong culture. And what appears to have happened is that the Corinthian church to whom Paul is writing this letter, they had adopted, or maybe because most of them were Gentiles who had come out of the Corinthian culture into the church, they had either adopted or they never actually let go of certain cultural elements that were contrary to Christ. And so you had this messy church context situation and, and that resulted in divisions and all kinds of things because um, the, the church, the people of the church were infiltrated with the culture around them to the extent that it was pulling them away. It was, it was, it was the opposite process of sanctification. And so Paul is writing to them and, and you can even see his posture towards them right in the beginning. Look in verse two, he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth. He doesn't say to the Corinthian church. They were acting like a Corinthian church, like the church of Corinth. But he reminds them right there in verse two, no, you're the church of God. You belong to God. You just happen to be in Corinth, right? Subtle distinction, but with so much power. And it applies to us too. We are the church of God. We happen to be here physically in El Cerrito or online where, where we are. We happen to be here, but we are the church of God. We're gonna tease that out over time. In fact, God's gonna tease that out in us as we go through 1 Corinthians. 
See, it turns out the church is always in need of being sanctified away from the culture in which it exists and towards Jesus. But moving on, how does that happen? Jesus is sanctifying us by his grace. When we think of becoming sanctified, uh, I'm guessing that, again, as I've said already, there's some part of us that hears, hears that as a call to try harder. The call to sanctification is often received as a call to try harder. People who are sanctified are the people who try harder. Now look with me in verse four in the text where we are. He says, I give thanks um, to my God always for you. And and what does he say? He, He does not say, I give thanks to my God always for you because you guys really do try harder than all the other guys. I mean, those Galatians and those Romans and those Philippians, like you guys, you just try harder. And, and so I commend you for just being better. That's not what he says. It's pretty remarkable. Um, you know, think about uh, how unique this is. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. I mean, famous leaders, they always commend their people for trying hard, right? For doing the right thing, for a job well done. But here, Paul's basically saying to them, here's what I'm gonna commend you for. I'm gonna commend you that instead of trying to be commendable in your own strength, you're letting God make you commendable. Instead of trying to be commendable in your own strength, you are letting God make you commendable. And here's how God does that incredible work. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched. Remember, Corinth is a wealthy place and there was temptation to chase after riches. And Paul's saying to them, look, you're enriched more so in Christ. That's where your true wealth is. That you were in every way were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. This is how sanctification takes place, okay? It's not by trying harder Merely, there's, a, there's an aspect of it where we do engage our will. We're talking about that with the spiritual disciplines. But ultimately, sanctification is the grace of God in our lives. That's how we become more like Jesus. So in him, all speech, this is what Jesus has done. You were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking but this is what, this, when, we, when we think we're lacking, we start relying on ourselves and chasing after things that will make up for the lack. And, and Paul's saying that you're not lacking in any way, in any gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you. It's, it's his work to the end. He will sustain you to the end. This work of transforming you and making you more like Christ is God's work. He's doing it. He will sustain you and he's gonna keep doing it all the way to the end, whether that be the end of your life or the return of Christ, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification is good. That's the first point. You should really want it. And so if you came in here this morning and you're like, ooh, that's one of those words that I shy away from or I didn't understand it or I'm not really interested in that, I hope that you're starting to turn your opinion on the subject sanctification is good. You should really want it because it's good. And the church in Corinth was a mess because of a lack of it. And we will be too, to the extent that we are not engaged in the process of sanctification, we will be a mess. Um, Sanctification is good. You should really want it. But sanctification 
is a work of God. It's the work of God. Isn't that good news? That's the gospel. That's the good news. That this thing we could never do, God is doing in us. We're going to pray into that. And some of us maybe have been trying a lot, striving in our own strength. And as we open up for time for prayer today, maybe the Holy Spirit is just releasing you from that. You've been beating yourself up. You never meet your own standards. And, you know, it's like you're living under this slave driver. Maybe it's somebody outside of you. Maybe it's the slave driver inside of you. And you keep trying. And there's never peace. There's never rest. There's never freedom. There's never joy. Because you're just living under this enslavement. And what God wants to do in your heart and in your life right now is to free you from that. To remind you, no, this is my work. (laughs) And since I'm God, it's going to get done. So just relax. Trust me. Receive my grace. Some of you maybe need to pray into that today as we go to our time of prayer. So point one, Jesus is sanctifying us, and that's good news. Point two, Jesus is sanctifying us by his grace, and that's really good news. And point three, Jesus is sanctifying us by his grace to unify us. And it's not merely to unify us one way or the other but fully to unify us. It's to unify us with himself and with each other. We've already talked about how sanctification unites us with God. It's there again at the very end of the passage, verse nine. God is faithful. This thing he's doing, uh, he will complete. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's such a beautiful verse. If you're memorizing a verse, this is a great one to memorize. And in those moments when You feel despair. Oh yeah, God's faithful. Whom you were called into fellowship, by whom you were called into fellowship with his son. Excuse me, of his son. I I did memorize this in a different version, so I think there's confusion going on. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay? And it's gonna be here in chapter 15. And this is sort of the climax of the book. If you turn over to chapter 15 in your Bible and you just look, we're gonna get to this awesome place where you know we know that okay Jesus has been raised from the dead and he's got this glorified body and chapter 15 is this incredible statement about how actually that's our process as well that we are going to be raised up and we will be in the presence of God and it, this, this is what we're looking forward to, this fellowship with God in glorified bodies where all the sin and brokenness has finally fallen away and our wills are aligned with God's will. What God wants is what we want, what we want. It's just all united together and there's gonna be this beautiful communion and relationship together. That's, that's what united with, with Christ means, okay? We're gonna get there. That's gonna be the climax, chapter 15, 
But there's also a uniting that happens with the other believers. And you see it in the very beginning. Just he's, Paul, in these, in these greetings, he always anticipates where he's going to go. And so he's anticipated this idea of sanctified because the Corinthian church needs it. They're all adopted into the worldly ways of thinking. They need to be sanctified. So he's already, he's already uh, anticipated that. And then he anticipates this idea of being together. So to the church of God, verse two, that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, okay, so he's anticipating that, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. You see how he, he's, he's emphasizing the togetherness, the unity of the saints in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is going to be another, probably the second major theme. And what's exciting to me is that the two are tied together. The sanctification theme and the unity theme, they're tied together very deeply uh, in this book. Oh, oh and, I, and then, uh, you know, um, it, oh man. So then we go into, into chapter 12 and you've had this beautiful picture where Paul's going to take us. So you have the climax in chapter 15 of us being united with him. And then you have these other climaxes about the unity of the church. And he uses the body metaphor. Those of you who know the book, chapter 12, right? And how the, the church is the body of Christ. And all the different parts are working together like a well-functioning body. And it's harmony and it's beautiful. And that's where we're headed that's what he wants, not all this division. See, there's divisions. If you look back in chapter one, now look, the heading probably in your Bible is divisions in the church. And then in chapter three, it's gonna come again. So there's a problem. There's divisions in the church. And I think they're actually connected to the way that the Corinthian church has adopted the ways of thinking of the world. They're worshiping all different gods and now they're following all different leaders. And so you've got this, this problem of division in the church. And Paul's writing to heal that, to bring them together. But the way that they're brought together in unity, horizontally, is by finding unity with God vertically. A.W. Tozier writes in The Pursuit of God, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. They are, not, they are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. So we want unity, and sometimes we, we look and we try to manufacture it, and what, what, this text, what this book is saying, what this text is saying, is look, turn your eyes towards Jesus, and you will be unified. Like spokes with a hub. The hub is Jesus, and you know all the spokes come in and attach to the hub, and as we get closer to Jesus, the spokes get closer together. That's the message. What God's trying to do for the Corinthian church, uh, the church of God that is in Corinth, uh, through Paul, um, and actually what God is trying to do for us is to get us to, to all to be tuned to the same fork, tuning fork. 
so that we might be one. Unity is a function of proximity to Christ. Unity is a function of proximity to Christ. So I'm going to put up this. Uh, we're going to go uh, to some time of prayer. Sanctification on the one side. Sanctification happens with grace and then unity on the other side. These are the three concepts we're looking at today. They're going to, they're going to be with us throughout our study. Uh, all are surrounded around Christ. Um, grace leads, the grace of God leads to sanctification. Sanctification leads to unity in, with God and with each other. So I want to ask you as we go to prayer, and we're going to open up the communion table, which Pastor Paul is going to do, and then we're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to have prayer people up here. He's going to explain more of that. And look, you know, please don't just say, I don't want to see, I don't want to see me go up front and get prayer. I'm going to go first, okay? Just because we got to break that down. We just have to break it down. Every single person in this room it has 50 reasons they need prayer today. That's just, that's just reality. So let's break it down. Let's come forward. Um, and I wanted you to think about these questions. How is the Holy Spirit nudging you today? Do you need to stop relying on your own strength? In other words, live into the grace of God. Do you need to embrace the blessing of sanctification? Right? So you've been kind of turning away from it. You don't want all that. Or uh, is there a lack of unity that hurts your soul that you want to see healed? Or if there's anything else you want to pray for, you can come forward and get prayer. So I'm, I'm not going to finish in prayer because we're, we're like starting to pray. So come on, Pastor Paul, and, and open us, and then we're going to keep.